Welcome to Seeds of Self, a podcast for daughters disrupting generational cycles. I'm your host, Chelsea, coach, mentor, and founder of Seedspace, a community that explores the intersections between identity, culture, and well-being. With a focus on empowering a more inclusive approach to contemporary wellness, our mission is to support the rising and thriving of all women beyond conditioning imposed through patriarchal, colonial, and capitalist culture. Join us week to week for candid conversations, deep diving on all things spirituality, psychology, self-development, business in the wellness industry, and more. If our content resonates, it'd mean the world if you could give us a rating or share with a friend. Okay, thank you so much for being here. Let's dive in. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Seeds of Self podcast. I'm very excited. Today we will be joined by a very special guest, a very, very special guest, my personal best friend, Bianca Winter-Millari, who is a trauma-informed counsellor, somatic therapist and the founder of Embodied Self Therapy. Bianca and I share a little bit about the importance of community and connection when navigating a healing journey. We also talk about our individual experiences with having mixed cultural backgrounds, being first-generation Australians, and how our immigrant background has really influenced our ability to connect with ourselves and our identity. We talk about complex childhood trauma and how Bianca supports clients with navigating, reconnecting with themselves and moving past their earlier childhood experiences. It's always such a pleasure speaking with Bianca. As you will come to learn in the episode, both of us have Aquarius placements in our charts, which means that our approach to how we conceptualize different things somewhat similar how we talk about systems and structures and society at large I think is really indicative of the work that we both do and the unique lens in which we aim to support our clients from not just a micro level but a macro one too so I hope that you enjoy I hope that you leave feeling inspired perhaps you learn something new If that is the case, do reach out on Seed Space's Instagram. I always love hearing your feedback. You can connect with Bianca via the show notes. All of her details will be there. Otherwise, let's dive in. Welcome, Bianca. What an (laughs) honor it is to have you on the Seeds of Self podcast. For everyone listening, Bianca is my personal best friend offline outside of the Seed Space community. We were just discussing before how exciting it is to be able to collaborate in this way. A lot of our healing journey has kind of overlapped. So this is a nice extension of that. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Bianca. 
Sure. So first of all, I am super, super excited to be here and having this conversation with you. I'm really, really grateful to be invited on. I'm a big, big supporter of Seedspace and your mission. I just think it's such an important space and something that's very much needed. So thank you. And thank you to all of your listeners. So I'm Bianca. I am a trauma-informed counsellor, somatic therapist, and founder of Embodied Self Therapy, currently based on Awabakal land, also known as Newcastle, Australia. And I support adult survivors of complex childhood trauma in reconnecting with themselves and transcending their trauma. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And also just to echo everything that you said, it is really such an honor to have you on the podcast. We share a little bit about our personal friendship and our connection. And I would love to maybe elaborate a little bit on that and how community has been such a core pillar of both of our respective healing journeys. I think the funniest thing about our story is that we actually grew up like two minutes down the road from each other. Crazy. Unknowing, um, in literally in the same suburb, but we didn't meet until um, we were both living in Berlin. And that was what, five, five years ago now. We met at a club in Berlin and kind of at a really pivotal time for both of us and it's just crazy to reflect on how much has happened in those five years you know we've really seen each other through some pretty big times in our lives Mm -hmm. lots of change and transitions and yeah I think for both of us it's really highlighted just how important aligned friendship community safe people is in the journey you know having those those people there to lessen the load to to cheer you on to give you support to just be there and hold space for you is huge huge in the journey totally totally so the time that Bianca and I met each other we were both kind of into this psychology self-development world as it is I remember that was one of the initial things that we really connected on right reading all of the the power of now and all the Gabby Bernstein books and yeah school of life school of life wow we even went we went to to that event yeah (laughs) we went to an event in Berlin we already were kind of doing work on ourselves and then the time that we met each other I think was coming up to our Saturn return navigating big Mm -hmm. life transitions both of us moved out of serious long-term relationships we were living with our partners just all the things, career, Mm. everything. And our journeys actually took a whole other turn and a whole other depth. Mm. And being able to be by each other's side through that experience was just so supportive. Like, do you Mm. remember, Bianca, the period when we were navigating our dark night of the soul? Of the soul. (laughs) Like literally almost in parallel. And something else that's really funny. So Bianca mentioned we, we met in Berlin our childhood homes were a street away from each other. So a lot of our friendship has actually been cultivated online as well, which Mm. sounds crazy. We meet once a year, of course, but we communicate a lot virtually. And I remember during my dark night of the soul telling you like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happening, but I can't respond. (laughs) Like I'm really slow. Like I just need to shut myself off from everything. Like I'm literally in a cave 
Um, that was definitely your cocooning phase. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And just to intertwine some like spiritual woo-woo here, I truly believe that the universe arranged everything so we could be those supports for each other. It's funny. I think about like how many opportunities we we would have had to meet and how interconnected a lot of the people that we know are and the the places that we frequented like just how much of that we had in common. Like, for example, we both worked at the same shopping mall. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of opportunity there to cross paths. But I think that the time that that we actually did, yeah, it was meant to be. It and really was. It's funny how we were able to really cultivate such a strong connection in those couple of years that we did overlap living in Berlin. A big change for me was moving back to Australia and just like pre-COVID. And so while you were going through your dark night of the soul, I was going through a lot of grief and loss. Also like experiencing death in the family and that sort of thing and 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 dealing and accepting the loss of of moving mm. and being in a new space with with no one. Yeah, no one that was aligned. So that was really supportive for me in my personal journey, having that connection. So yeah, really thankful and really, it, mm. I think it's so beautiful that we were able to cultivate that. Yeah. And, you know, we continue to nurture that and pour into it mm. despite the distance and the time, which I think is really beautiful. And I have a lot of conversations with Seed Space community members around, you know, I'm still looking for my tribe or I'm not at that point yet where I feel the friends around me are super aligned. Mm. I think our story happened kind of kismetly in a lot of ways. But if I could offer any advice to anyone who's listening and finds themselves really craving those authentic connections, I think the time that Bianca and I met, we were also transitioning out of friendships that didn't necessarily feel aligned. And I think through doing that, we opened up the space to allow more deeper aligned connections. And I think that's mm-hmm. also part of it, right? Where to assess where your energy is going um, and being a lot more intentional about those close relationships that you choose to allow into your overall energy field. Yeah, absolutely. I think about the close friendships that I have and, you know, it's not just ours that transcends time zones. I have many friends that are in different places. And yeah, I think once you find those aligned friendships, it's important to nurture them. It really is. 100%. So, okay. Another thing that we really connected on in our friendship was our kind of experience navigating cultural identity and both growing up in Sydney. So tell us a little bit about your cultural identity, your background and what that's really been like for you. I'm a first-generation Australian and a biracial third culture kid. And shout out to someone in my community who recently enlightened me to that term. Yeah, that means that I have Filipino heritage on my mother's side and German on my father's side. And a bit about my upbringing. I mean, I, I would be here all day if we went through the ins and outs of my childhood, but I grew up as middle child between two brothers and raised primarily by my mom who immigrated from the Philippines in the 80s or both of my parents immigrated in the in the 80s and I moved around a little bit in my early childhood and 
um, eventually, as mentioned, ended up two minutes down the road from you, Chelsea, in <laughs> Sydney's western suburbs. And just for some context, if you haven't been to Australia, if you're not really familiar with with the culture, it's quite it's quite white and it's quite racist. Although I feel like the western suburbs is a little bit more multicultural, mm. um, but definitely more like on the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. Although mm. I think that's kind of changed since we've grown up. And so I have my own history of complex trauma in my childhood. And as I reflect on that, I discovered quite early on in my journey that was obviously a result of being raised by someone who was also really heavily, heavily traumatized. Mm -hmm. And not just on an individual relational level, but also as someone who was coming up against many like systemic mm. challenges. So being a female, being an immigrant, a person of color, someone who's like English was their second language, mm -hmm. at times a single mother, and again, all of the racism and stereotypes that, that come along with that. So yeah, many, many layers of trauma that have trickled down to me. And I think a lot of children of immigrants would have the same experience. And I know that that the same is true for you that you shared in your first episode that you know, our parents, they disown parts of themselves mm. and, and their culture as a means of assimilating. It's their wish for a better life for us in like yeah. the, this new newfound land that they reject where they've come from to some extent. Yeah. And I think in that process that, that stirs up and cultivates a lot of shame. Yes. And that's the internalized motive of the colonizer, right? So Again, for some context, the Philippines was colonized by the Spanish around 500 years ago and then eventually by the US. But for the person of color to identify more with the colonizer, that is that internalized motive, that unconscious wanting to be more like the colonizer. So really? as someone coming into like a white bodied space, when you're not received by the culture, so for example, if you're on the receiving end of racism, mm that leads to an experience of what's wrong with me instead of what's wrong with the culture. Yeah. It's just so powerful. Mm -hmm. You touched on so many different layers. What is so sad about all of the complexities described is often none of this is verbal, right? No. no none of it is spoken in explicit words. It's all mm. nuanced, ingrained beliefs that end up manifesting in behaviors, for example, our parents creating distance between themselves and their yeah. culture. Nobody told them in words in order to no. assimilate into Australian culture, you must cut, the, like nobody has ever said this, right? And mm. I think this really influences that generational piece as well, because part of those unspoken beliefs then get passed on to us. And totally. potentially our children, right? If we choose to have yeah. any and if we don't look at this piece of our identity now. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, you know, of course, it's an it's an unconscious process. And just to give some more examples of how this, this manifested in my upbringing was, you know, not being taught the language, not speaking the language at home, wanting to present as more white and for me, having that shame of like, you know, going over friends' homes and not mm. feeling like mine was up to standard mm. or just not having the same freedoms or privileges as, as my friends had, you know, it manifested in so many different 
different ways. And I kind of blamed my my mum for a lot of this, really. Mm-hmm. But now looking back at it, I have a lot of deep gratitude for for what I have experienced. You know, because there are still some element elements that were there. But... Totally. If you've not yet listened to episode two of Seeds of Self, I'd briefly touch on this as well to anyone who's listening, how to extract parts of our childhood and our upbringing that actually have positively shaped us. Because I think mm-hmm. when we're doing this work, there's a lot of uh, fixating on the deficits of our parents um, and not a lot of acknowledgement for the ways in which they actually shaped us in a positive and conducive way to who we are now and, you know, the privileges that we have been afforded. But I definitely Mm. resonate with what you shared, um, specifically around having a a blame approach Mm. uh, and shame as well intertwined toward my parents for not being able to provide me the same lifestyle as that of my friends or my peers in school right and I Mm. think I'm curious to know your thoughts and how this has played out for you now at this phase of your journey but because I know we are both on that process to reclaiming these parts of our heritage right the not passing on the language for me it looked like not learning any kind of traditional food or cooking or you know you have German and Filipina heritage I have four different ethnicities right and I'm disconnected from pretty much all of those (laughs) the Mm. Indian a little bit more but that was through um, the spiritual practices but even with those I was really embarrassed about I'm not sure if it is in a blog post on the seed space website or where I shared about this but I had a lot of shame toward friends coming over and You know, if I had an auntie doing her pranayama breathing in the living room or something, I would be like, can you not like take that incense elsewhere? (laughs) Um, We just want to watch the Saddle Club in peace. Like, So there's a real focus now for me anyway on reconnecting with those things that we weren't able to and that we didn't have the emotional maturity understanding to want to learn or to express curiosity toward what has that kind of been like for you? I think when we're when we're young, it is easy to step into that that blame and almost anger and resentment because we we so crave that belonging to be like our friends, right? So we we then engage with the same behaviors of disowning parts of ourselves and rejecting parts of ourselves in order to be like others. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to an inherent sense of belonging, right? This yeah. desire to be part of part of our community, and that's very biological. You touch on it earlier in the episode too, the whole systemic barriers in place to being able to feel that sense of belonging. And these are things that our peers say, let's say people with who are not first-generation Australian who have, you know, had their parents, their grandparents and their fellow lineages Mm. born in Australia, they don't necessarily experience that in the same way, right? No, yeah. Now where I am in in my journey and just speaking on that anger and the blame, I feel like that is a really integral part of the journey to be Mm. able to move through that and process that. 
because that's a that's a big part of us that's alive and that we experience it. It's important to hold space for that. But I think in my personal journey anyway, and I think the same is for you, we're now at a stage where we can look back with with compassion and and deep gratitude and appreciation for the sacrifices and for just the resilience and the tenacity to keep on going despite all of these systemic challenges. We can look back now and appreciate that our parents did not have, they were not on a level playing field. They came here with with hope. <laughs> they just yeah. came with hope. That's literally it for a better life for us. Mm. And yeah, I think it's such a testament to the resilience that you said, the resilience that we couldn't necessarily understand. Yeah. You know, both of us have been quote unquote immigrants in other countries. I'm still living in Berlin now, but it's out of choice. I could well and truly have a successful life in Australia as can you, as do you. Mm. We didn't move abroad because we had to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in order to allow our future generations to have a successful, calm, abundant life. Yeah. And I think in in the appreciation and the acknowledgement of that, that is also acknowledging what we have inherited. You know, it's not just about generational trauma and all of those layers but it's also the resilience it's also totally it's also that holding on to hope the adaptability the yeah. being open to opportunities also as entrepreneurs right being able to identify when there are opportunities in front of us i think that is very much influenced from immigrant roots mm -hmm. being i would resourceful. love resourceful exactly that is it I would love to talk a little bit about how this piece of your personal journey, as in the cultural background and the identity and trying to hold space for that part of yourself has perhaps influenced your journey into wellness spaces, right? For me, mm. I've spoken about this on Seed Space as well. I believe many people move into any sort of self-development, wellness work to work on themselves and for people who come from an immigrant background and are already navigating an internal sense of dissonance these are the spaces that we go to to try and recultivate that homecoming or that sense of belonging right so what has that been like for you so yeah i mentioned i'm a trauma informed counselor and i also have my own complex trauma history so I'm very much inspired by my own healing journey. I mm -hmm. very much resonate and embody this wounded healer archetype. And, you know, I'm also a huge introvert and an Aquarius moon. <laughs> so from a young age, I have always found myself in deep introspection. And yeah, I always had an innate curiosity, always wanted to understand myself and those around me, the world around me. My formal studies and training are in social science, psychology, counseling, yoga, and somatic therapies. Yeah, I, I've worked in community services for a decade with 
many different populations with complex needs. And I always find myself, I find that my clients and and my work mirrors back to me, my own journey. I'm a therapist because I believe that my impact is is one-on-one where I can hold space and support others. Mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated, you know, with with people in the world and and nature. So my healing journey started, God, I, I can't even pinpoint when it started because I feel like my whole life has been a bit of a healing journey. <laughs> it must be the Aquarius placement because I feel that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but really it kind of started with me working on the obvious symptoms of my mental health diagnosis at the time when I was diagnosed around 18. And I feel like as you go along a journey, you continue to peel back the layers. So it starts with, you know, what's most obvious and then you peel back the layers and the things that you work with start to become more nuanced. And then you also start to widen the lens a little bit more. So you start looking at these kind of macro social influences like culture, politics, and, you know, how those trends happen through generations and how it all trickles down and manifests in you. So again, you know, my work often mirrors where I'm at in my personal journey. And right now I I am finding myself in a space where I'm looking at me, myself, my being, my personhood through a decolonizing lens and trying to reconnect back with my lineage and my my ancestry pre-colonization and simultaneously also looking at my practice through a decolonizing lens. So I'm still in the really, really early, early stages of this, still a lot to learn, you know, and a lot to process and integrate, but I'm excited to see how this all informs my practice. And I know it will bring really deep healing to myself, but also my clients. I love, love, love that you touched on this, Bianca, like, you know, you and I have had conversations outside of our respective businesses around the lack of cultural sensitivities that these more streamlined modalities often hold space for. For example, you have worked with Indigenous Australians before, right? And curriculums Mm -hmm. that you were teaching, you could identify were not actually created in a way that acknowledged those sensitivities. I think there was a Maslow mm-hmm. hierarchy example that you once shared with me. Oh my right? goodness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this, this, this is burnt into my memory. <laughs> you want me to share this? Yeah, go ahead. I think it provides really interesting context for why it's so important to embody a sense of, you know, that decolonizing work in these therapeutic spaces because mm. everybody is still learning and the result of this only coming to light now means that so many marginalized groups have accessibility barriers to what it means mm. to be well. And, you know, it's just another layer of that oppressive system play out. So please tell us what you observed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just this whole situation just was a really interesting space to be in. So just for some context, I worked at a drug and alcohol rehab as one of the counsellors there, and I used to facilitate group programs. And so this particular group, I forget exactly what it was on. It must have been needs or something like something like this. And we were looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you don't know, this 
concept was developed. I'm pretty sure Maslow was a white man back in the 30s or something like that. And my supervisor, who is just phenomenal, she's done a lot of work with Indigenous communities in Australia. And she was telling me about how she facilitated a similar group in the communities that she had worked with, the Indigenous communities, and how she basically thought it was just rubbish (laughs) because it didn't take into account how First Nations are connected to land and country and how that is such an important need, an integral need for them and community. And so I had this in mind because I actually did have a First Nations participant in my group. And so I thought, okay, I'm taking this feedback on board and I'm I'm going to facilitate this with this in mind. And so I did so. And what the group actually entailed was having a look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and kind of giving them some psychoed around that, but then also, you know, passing it on to them and saying, hey, you know, this is what Maslow's hierarchy of needs looks like, but what does it look like to you? Mm. And what would, how would you rearrange your pyramid? And... (laughs) I got a lot of, I don't want to say pushback, but a lot of protesting from another participant who happened to be a middle-aged white person. And there was a bit of, yeah, a bit of back and forth between us about he was, he was basically saying, you know, you are, you are discrediting this concept that's been around for decades. Are you saying that you're better than Maslow? Oh my and god. All, <laughs> and all I had to respond to that was, look, I'm not the person to tell you what your needs are. So exactly. yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's so interesting because what you're touching on as well, I think really speaks to the autonomy and the personal mm-hmm. agency that is so important when navigating any sort of healing journey or trauma work, right? We have these, we have the theory and theoretical research and all of those pieces, but at the end of the day, it's also deeply personal, especially when there are nuances like with um, the cultural aspect and the Indigenous Mm. people and their sacred connection to the land that aren't Mm. accounted for because of these overarching systems like the patriarchy, colonialism, capitalism, Mm -hmm. all of those things. Oh, yeah, it's it's really sad, actually, uh, because I think it's a perfect example of how these healing and therapeutic spaces aren't actually inclusive, right? And we're slowly Mm. getting there, slowly, Mm. very slowly, starting off with uh, diverse Instagram branding. (laughs) But... (laughs) Yeah, the rhetoric that exists has not taken into account the complexities and nuances of culture. Mm, Absolutely. I'd like to quickly touch on as well, because you mentioned it a little bit earlier, that you've noticed for yourself with navigating your own journey that, you know, it started off with addressing the specific behavioural patterns that were at play. And then slowly as we progress and as we integrate different elements, we move toward the macro layers, right? And that's where culture comes into it. And I really resonate with that 
especially here with the work that I facilitate at Seed Space, mm. it's coming at it from a macro level, right? That's also what Seeds yeah. of Self is about. It's identity, culture, and well-being. Because through my own journey and my own process, I've been able to recognize how all of those three aspects are interconnected. In saying that, if anybody brought this topic to me at an earlier stage of my journey, I would be like, what are you talking about? Mm. What do you mean culture is is part of this? I'm out here just trying to deal with my anxious attachment. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to learn how to communicate boundaries. I'm just here trying to heal my little inner child. Like, what do you mean culture is related? And to anybody who's listening and perhaps is at an earlier stage of their journey, I don't believe that this is anything that can be forced. It's it's a learnt natural progression through experience mm. and as you unlock those deeper layers. But just to keep in mind that doing work, I feel anyway, in these typical therapeutic and wellness spaces is so focused on the individual in mm. a work, in a child, in a in a inner, but what about that macro lens, right? We all exist within an ecosystem and that very much plays a significant role in all of our homecoming journeys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't wait to see (laughs) how your own work evolves uh, as you continue doing work to integrate that more cultural aspect of your own identity and how it informs, you know, the clients that you find gravitating toward you. Mm. Um, You know, Seedspace really believes in more representation in this space. That's why we have this platform. That's why we speak to women like you to highlight the importance of these nuances and these intricacies that aren't really held Mm. in more traditional spaces. No, I just want to say on that, you know, this this Western individualistic normative society that we live in is inherently traumatic. Isolation is so detrimental to our, our well-being and, and trauma disconnects us from ourselves and from from others and healing seeks to reconnect. And I, I really do believe that there is only so far that we can go alone from a therapeutic perspective. We actually can't heal alone. Yes, I do believe that there are times for cocooning like you were doing at <laughs> in your dark night of the soul phase mm-hmm. or reflecting, processing and all of that. It's so important in one's journey, but the real healing does happen in, in community where mm. we, we really are wired for that connection and co-regulation. So Totally. And just to highlight for, for anyone listening about that dark night of the soul phase, Bianca mentioned that she's an introvert and she is an Aquarius moon, so naturally gravitates toward that solitude. For me, Mm. I'm very much an extrovert and connecting with community is a core piece of my well-being. Like I literally need it alongside my moments of solitude. So when that period occurred for me, it was really unsettling. Like Mm. I hadn't experienced that need to retract from everyone in my life. I remember writing the message. It was in a group chat, I think, with another friend. And I was trying to find the word, like it was different from just needing alone time. You know, it was Mm. a real shut off period 
And for me and, and this other person in the group, it was just like sounded like a regular Tuesday. <laughs> a regular Tuesday. <laughs> no, but it's also like, is Chelsea okay? Like what's going on? Also, you know, I live, I live alone. So it's not like I am interacting with people unless I intentionally carve out that space, which I think also feeds my need for community and connection, right? Mm. But yeah. Yeah, that was a very, very interesting period. And if you've perhaps not experienced a dark night of the soul, it's basically when you start realizing all of the pieces of your life that are misaligned. It's like a a kind of a quote unquote death period, right? Where Mm. the relationships around you, the systems, you become conscious of society and how it's not really set up in a way to facilitate the thriving of us as individuals. And there's so much mm. mourning and grief that comes up with that, right? Do you resonate because you also had your your dark night of the soul? <laughs> Meanwhile, I was thinking Pink is just having normal alone time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. It's hard to pinpoint when my journey began because I feel like my whole life has been one big healing journey. I associate the dark night of the soul with like an, a, spirit, a spiritual awakening. And yeah. I think we go through many of those in our lives. We go through many of them. Totally, so, especially if you are a Scorpio with many Scorpio placements <laughs> like me. <laughs> it's a constant death, rebirth, personal evolution. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but this one felt just very profound because it was the first touch point into recognising that, wow, society cannot hold me. Um mm. You know, Mm. when we're younger, we have trust in the systems, in the police, hospitals, all of the things. And then the police. (laughs) (laughs) No, but honestly, it's also, as you said, traumatic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I just, you know, to, to speak on trauma and complex trauma for a moment, like complex trauma, it just leaves our sense of self and our sense of belonging fragmented. So for the people that I support, like they often go through their lives not having those those bolsters that trust mm. in people to yeah to feel safe with to feel like they that they can be held in some way yeah i think speaking from my experience i definitely resonate with that and it's it's almost like you are constantly looking for those those touch points as you go through through your journey if for anybody who is listening and thinks okay uh, i have potentially experienced complex childhood trauma do you have any any things that you would share with them as to how they can begin unraveling if that's the case and what they could do as a next step what they could do as a next step is follow me on instagram (laughs) (laughs) yep all of bianca's details will be in the show notes (laughs) so that you can definitely connect with her after listening everyone's journey looks different and everyone's entry point, I think, to into healing looks really different. And how complex trauma presents and how it's experienced for everyone is so, so unique. So it's hard to really give some advice on where to mm-hmm. start. Although if you are coming across like synchronicities, like if the phrase complex trauma, CPTSD is coming up for you, then, you know, maybe start some research there. Or if this conversation is resonating with you you know again um feel free to connect with me 
have a lot of resources available to people who are like you, who have gone through the same experience. So yeah, and and finding places, things, people that you do feel safe with so that you can begin to start exploring. Yeah. Yeah. Education is a is a big piece, isn't it? Of being able to mm. understand at least on a conscious level before deep diving further into that world. Yeah. Um, I think we need to definitely like name our experience yeah. in order to start treatment, to start healing it, to start processing. It starts with awareness for sure. So tell us about the resources that you have available. And if anybody is curious about further understanding mm-hmm. about complex yeah. trauma. Sure. So as I mentioned, I have a lot of psychoeducation resources available on my social media platforms. You know, a big common experience that traumatized people, people who have experienced complex trauma have is that they often find themselves experiencing triggers. So they're Mm -hmm. often emotionally triggered by things in their life. So a free resource that I have for people is an emergency trigger toolkit. So that'll help you to like start regulating your nervous system, learn a little bit more about the nervous system and how it works. Because as I mentioned, I'm a somatic therapist as well. So I really kind of approach healing from a bottom up approach from the body first. So yeah, that's a, that's a starting point trigger toolkit. I also have some workbooks that you can do on your self-guided journey if you're still in that cocooning phase. And if you're ready to start working one-to-one with a therapist then definitely connect with me in 2024. Using all of Bianca's details and everything that she has referenced, I will link in the show notes. So be sure Mm -hmm. to check those out. Bianca, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you. It's been a big, big pleasure. A big, (laughs) big pleasure. Just within the context of our more professional lives. You know, we share a friendship. Obviously, we spend as much quality time together as possible, but also being able to have this shared overlap in our work is just so precious. So thank you for being a guest on Seeds of Self. Thank you so much for inviting me and thank you everyone who has listened, tuned in. I'm so, so grateful to be here and yeah, I feel really after our conversation. (laughs) And by the time this airs, Bianca and I will be living our best relaxation life over in (laughs) Bali. We have organized a friendship end of year joint 30th birthday celebration with a couple of girlfriends. One of the ways that we nurture and cultivate this long distance connection. So Really looking forward to that. Lots of wellness days planned, spa experiences after both having very busy years. So yeah, yeah, uh, looking forward. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in and until next week, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in and being part of this movement. I hope this episode left you feeling inspired, supported, and seen in your journey. If our content resonates, it'd mean the world if you could share with a friend, subscribe, or give us a rating. If you're curious about working together or would simply like to share your thoughts or any other feedback, links are in the show notes of how to best get in touch. 
Until then, so much love to wherever you're listening in from. Bye-bye.